God, I thank you for speaking to us through your word. I thank you for the great treasure, as Larry shared earlier, of, of the fact that you have spoken to us and you've given this treasure, and, and very often we neglect it and we don't treat it with the, the great gift that it is. But we thank you for a chance this morning to now take a, a break in our week, to pause, to open your word together, to listen to the words of Jesus, and to try to understand then better what it means to, to follow him and to find life in him. We pray that that would be what we discover this morning. I pray that you'd send your spirit to be working uh, among us this morning, that we would truly hear uh, your voice through the words of scripture. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, As uh, you are all aware, the past few months have been a pretty uh, depressing and difficult time to be following the the news. It seems like week after week there's some news story of a terrible tragedy, humans taking the lives of other humans. And and so it wasn't too long ago where we were uh, watching the death toll rise from these uh, coordinated attacks in Paris. And then just a few weeks later to to hear again of another shooting rampage uh, in San Bernardino. And and the truth is that if we uh, look at our hearts, we know that this probably won't be very long before this kind of thing happens uh, yet again. This is the kind of world that we live in where violence and death are a, a normal kind of thing. What's been interesting is to watch people uh, react to these tragedies because different people with different ideologies have, have different takes on the solution, uh, the, the different courses of action that we should take now to try to stop this kind of thing. Some of them say we need a stricter this or a stricter that or, or more of this or, or less of that, and, and everyone has a different idea of how to solve this. We, we have this collective sense that something is not right here. We, we want this kind of thing to stop happening but that's where our, our connection kind of loses after that. We, we don't really have a good sense of how to really stop this once and for all. So we, we're looking for solutions. How do we make sure this doesn't happen again? All sorts of people have different opinions on it. But when it comes right down to it, we're searching for answers and we don't have them. And so we're stuck in confusion, in anger, in disappointment, and in fear. And and undergirding this whole thing is really the big shadow that looms over all of human existence, and the shadow is death. I mean, that's the reality this brings closer to us every time it happens. The the reality is that every single one of us is going to die. The death rate is 100%. So, Merry Christmas, you're going to die someday. But it's the truth, and it doesn't do us any good to pretend otherwise, right? Death is the shadow that looms over human existence. And so when these tragedies come, when, when we see violence and bloodshed and death, we, we have all of these voices wrangling and shouting for different courses of action. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of the confusion, the uproar, the anger that we hear all around us, there's another voice that speaks a truer, more powerful word. We hear Jesus tell us why he came. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This Advent season, as we're preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas, we're looking at why Jesus came. We're specifically looking at his own words telling us why he came from the Gospel of John. There are several times throughout this Gospel where he says, I have come for this reason, I have come to do this. And so we saw in the first week a couple weeks ago that Jesus said he came to do the will of the Father. He came to do God's will. And that was expanded to see he came to bring eternal life to everyone who believes in him. 
And then last week we saw that Jesus said he comes to bring judgment, but judgment's actually a very positive thing in that passage. He comes to open the eyes of the blind. Those who are needy, he comes to bring judgment in a positive way, to rescue them. And then today we hear what he says in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And in a world like ours, a world that's full of violence and death, this is a part of Jesus' mission that we really have to dig in to try to understand. Uh, So we're going to look at the two parts of his statement uh, this morning, and we'll look at it through the the larger context of John chapter 10. Uh, If you haven't turned there in your Bibles, this would be a good time to do that. If you don't have a Bible, you're free to uh, borrow one from the Purex. You could take it home even if you want to. Uh, And it's found on page 1062 of the Pew Bibles, John chapter 10. And we'll look at verses 1 through 18 this morning. So Jesus says he has come to bring life, and he has come to bring life to the full. Let's look at the two different uh, parts of that statement. First, Jesus says that he came to bring life. Now, like all of these statements that we're looking at in the Gospel of John, this particular one is in part of a larger uh, teaching of Jesus. So let's look at what he's uh, saying here. This is John chapter 10. We'll start with verses 1 through 10. Jesus says this, and he's speaking to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, Jesus is using imagery in this passage that would have been very familiar to his uh, original audience, those who first heard him speak these words. They lived in an agrarian culture where shepherding was a common thing. And in fact, shepherding had always been a common vocation uh, for the people of Israel. So you can go back in the Old Testament and see that that these were shepherding kind of people. And and if you look at the Old Testament, there are passages where, where God uses that then to talk about his care for his people. He sets himself up like a shepherd who cares for uh, his sheep, cares for the people of Israel. Jesus is going to build on that same imagery to point out that there are people whose only intent is harm. They're like thieves and robbers. They're not interested in taking care of the sheep. They're only interested in taking from the sheep, taking whatever it is that they can get from them. They come only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, in this context, Jesus is specifically condemning the Pharisees, which is one of the leading uh, religious leaders of his day. And in doing so, he's actually drawing a similar connection to what God had uh, spoken through the prophet Ezekiel to an earlier set of the leaders of God's people. This is what it says in Ezekiel 34. Listen to the, the harsh words that God has for the leaders of his people in Ezekiel's day. This is what the sovereign Lord says, "'Woe to you, shepherds of Israel!' who only take care of yourselves. 
Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. That's a pretty brutal image, isn't it? The people who were supposed to be caring for and watching and leading God's people in a positive way were instead negligent. They were only seeking for their own good. Jesus is saying the same thing is happening in his day, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, they weren't there to care for the people. They were treating them brutally instead. He's drawing that same imagery from Ezekiel 34 in his own day. He's saying that there are people whose only goal is to get whatever they can out of others. They will bleed people dry to be able to get what they want. And the same thing happens today. I heard this infuriating story of an elderly woman named uh, Elaine. She was single. She'd never married. She didn't have any kids. And so she had always taken care of herself. And uh, as she got into her 80s, she realized she was going to need some more help on some of the the kind of physical projects around her house. So she hired a man uh, named Charles to help her out with some kind of odd jobs around the house. He'd do yard work and other things like that. He'd do uh, small repairs around the home. Well, this worked out for a few years, and after a few years, Elaine realized that she was going to need some more help. She was having some early signs of dementia, and so she mentioned to Charles that she was probably going to end up hiring an aide to be able to care for her uh, a little bit more. Well, Charles uh, decided that, that he was going to offer his own services to her. She didn't need to go hire someone else. He would be happy to take care of her and give her increasing care as she got older. It wasn't long before Charles convinced Elaine that to make him uh, power of attorney over health matters for her. He ended up moving into her house. Soon he stopped paying her utility bills, and when the, the past due notices came, he used that as a means of, of convincing her to then give him uh, her financial power of attorney as well. So he became her financial agent. And once that was in place, then he started depositing her checks into his own account, not paying for anything on the house or any of her bills, just putting it all into his own bank accounts. He cut Elaine off from all outside contact. He ended up convincing her that that no one was calling because no one cared for her anymore. And he ended up just bleeding her dry until eventually her mental and her physical health deteriorated and she ended up passing away. These are infuriating stories because I realize this isn't how things are supposed to be. And yet it happens. There are people around whose only interest is what they can get out of you. If you give them half a chance, they're going to bleed you dry. This is what Jesus is saying. There there are leaders who are like that. The leaders of God's own people sometimes are like that, only intent on their own personal gain. Well, in a world like that, God says that he's going to send help. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel chapter 34. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. So God promises that he will come to the rescue of his own people when they are in need. 
And Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the the good shepherd, the true shepherd of God's people. He came to care for them, to watch over them, to lead them just in line with God's promises. See, there are others who only use the people for personal gain, but Jesus comes with a totally different motivation. Listen again to the contrast in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to bring life. Now think about the imagery of this passage. Shepherding is is not a common thing, at least uh, for me. I don't know much about shepherding. I'm guessing most of you don't know a lot about shepherding. We've got a lot of farmland around here. I haven't seen a lot of sheep, however. Uh, But if we we try to think about the, the imagery of shepherding and sheep here, it helps to draw out the beauty of what Jesus is offering. In a Western world, when we think of leading animals along, we typically think of driving them forward, right? There's a, you think of a cattle rancher, maybe on a horse, maybe with a bull whip, and, and they're pushing the cows forward. They're maybe cracking the whip at them, and you're driving them forward. Or you think about sheep, maybe sheep ranching in the same kind of thing. Maybe a, a sheep rancher who's got uh, sheep dogs who are kind of barking and, and maybe nipping at the sheep to kind of keep in line and, and move them forward. And in our Western kind of uh, ranching mindset, that's what we do, right? We push uh, the sheep forward. But it's a totally different thing in the Eastern world. Uh, Visitors to to Israel and places like that, even today, note how remarkable it is to see how the shepherd leads the sheep. The shepherd actually leads in front of the sheep. And rather than kind of herding them along and pushing them like this, the shepherd uh, today will even like kind of play a a little flute or something like that, a distinctive melody, and just slowly walk in front of the sheep, and the sheep will just calmly follow them along. It happens even today. But that's the kind of picture that Jesus gives us. He says that he calls his sheep by name. He, he knows them, and they listen to him, and they know his voice, and because of that, they will follow him. He leads them, and they will follow. He, he brings them safely in and out of the sheep pen, protects them, provides for them. He brings them to pasture so that they have food and, and water. See, it's a picture of care and intimacy and closeness that's really remarkable. Jesus knows us. He calls us by name. He protects us. He provides for us. Isn't that a stark contrast to the world around us? Isn't that a stark contrast to to people who only want what they can get out of us for themselves? See, Jesus says that he comes to bring life, and he does it. The important lesson for us to learn is that we really do need Jesus. He really is the gift that's above every gift, the gift that we truly need. See, when we look at the mess of the world, we can look at all sorts of different solutions. Maybe that'll help a little bit. Maybe that'll help a little bit. Maybe this would give me peace. Maybe that would give me hope. Maybe that would give me security. But when it comes right down to it, nothing offers what Jesus is offering here. You can spend a whole life searching for what is real and true and meaningful and secure and hope-filled, but until this man Jesus, this good shepherd, finds you and calls you by name, your search will be fruitless. That's what it comes down to. Jesus is exactly what we need. We need someone who knows us intimately and truly. We need someone who cares for us, who loves us, who will guide us, who will protect us. That's what Jesus comes to do. He's the good shepherd. He comes to bring life. But he not only says he comes to bring life, he says he comes to bring life to the full. And so we have to look at the second half of that statement as well. It's a pretty remarkable statement here. Not just life, but life to the full. See, this demands that we ask some questions here. What is life to the full? We've got to find out what this is about. 
I came across a study that was pretty alarming last month that shows how much we really do need to hear about what this life to the full really is about. The study was looking at death rates in the United States compared to other countries. And in the modernized world, we always expect death rates to go down, right? And I said earlier, death rate's 100%. Everyone dies. So this doesn't mean that some people are not dying. It just means that people are living longer. When the death rate goes down, uh, life expectancy goes up. And in the modern world, we always expect that life expectancy, uh, life expectancy is going to go up and death rates are going down because we know that when people get access to clean water, to sanitary connect, uh, conditions, to uh, modern medicine, all these things, that, that people tend to live longer and the death rate uh, tends to drop. But the alarming thing that the study found was that the death rate is actually rising in the United States for a particular uh, segment of the population, white people aged 45 to 54. So if you're in that category, sorry, the bad news is you guys are dying off faster than anyone before you. And this is a really remarkable thing because this is not happening anywhere else in any other segment or in any other country, any other modernized country. So you might be able to see just a little bit of the the drops there, Uh, not very well turns out, but everything else is following that lower line. It's kind of plummeting down. The death rate is plummeting down, except for this one segment. It's going up. Now, what's interesting is why this is going up. We might think it's things like a sedentary lifestyle leading to heart disease, heart failure, and things like that, but that's actually not what this is about. These aren't uh, typical health risks and things like that. It's not about heart disease or diabetes or any of those uh, traditional big killers. Why is the death rate rising despite advances in medical technology? Here's the alarming thing. It's from suicide and complications arising from drug and alcohol abuse. That accounts for that whole rise in the death rate in this one segment of the population, 45 to 54. Now, obviously, there's a lot of complexity that surrounds this, but what this is indicating is that people are finding that life is empty. Right? I mean, think about it. Suicide, taking your own life, going to uh, drugs and alcohol abuse to try to kind of uh, self-medicate, numb the pain, numb the emptiness. See, we want a life that's worth living. We want life to the full. And and if that's what we're searching for, the, the longer we look for that without ever being able to find it, eventually that's going to lead us to despair. I mean, this is, this is suicide and, and, and substance abuse in, in a world that turns out these amazing technical, technological wonders and amazing things at lightning speed. I mean, think about all the things that, that we have seen happen just in the past decade or so. You, you know, you look at those little drones that fly around and stuff like that. You could get one for your home, a drone that flies around all over the place. You look at the, the technology that you carry around in your pocket, on your, in your cell phone or mobile device or whatever. Like, there are amazing things all around us in the world. And we're taught to look to those things, and and some of these things somehow are going to make me a little bit happier. One man summed it up really well. He said, everything is amazing right now, and nobody's happy. Isn't that right? See, we're looking to all these things, but we think there has to be something more. There has to be some kind of abundant life, some kind of life to the full. But if we keep searching and searching and searching and never finding, what does that leave us with? It's emptiness. We want life to the full. We just have no idea where to find it. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Listen to what he says next. This is John 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep end. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the Father. Jesus says he is the good shepherd. He came to bring life and to bring it to the full. And the way he does that shows just how committed to the good of his people he really is. He gives up his life for them. He dies for the sheep. And again, this highlights the contrast between Jesus and the other leaders who are only coming to get what they can out of it. But it also differentiates Jesus, the the owner of the sheep, from those who will just come and watch over them. See, if you're just an employee who's getting paid an hourly wage to be able to kind of guard the sheep, and you see a wolf coming, and, and you realize that your own life might be in danger, you're going to run. It's your life or their life, and you know which one you're going to choose. And yet Jesus willingly gives up his life to save the sheep. He knows them with the same kind of intimacy that that he and God the Father share, and so he's going to do everything to save them. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Later on in the book of John, we will see that Jesus, the, the good shepherd, the Son of God, is going to be arrested and ridiculed and mocked and beaten and die on a cross, even though he was innocent. Now, why does he do that? is to rescue us. This isn't some show of affection, some, some kind of uh, gruesome, grotesque thing that he didn't have to die, but he chose to die just to show how much he loves you. This isn't like that. He died because it was either your death and my death or his. He died because that was the only way to rescue people like us. We are sinful people who deserve condemnation before God. We cannot stand before a holy God in our state of sin. Jesus dies on a cross as the good shepherd who in his life is then in our place. The Bible says that the forgiveness that brings us peace is from the cross. Jesus dies on the cross, and in doing that, he releases the guilt and the punishment of sin that otherwise would be on us. It's our death or his. And because of his great love and mercy and compassion toward us, he chooses to die in our place. Jesus came to bring life. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to save us. That's his mission, and he did it effectively. And what does that mean for life to the full? In the context of the book of John, life to the full is what we might otherwise call eternal life. But it doesn't just mean that we live forever. It means that we live forever with God, in God's kingdom, as part of his perfectly restored creation. And that really makes a difference, doesn't it? This isn't just unending life. If this is just life as it is today, but you never die then that's not really something to get excited about. I'm guessing some of you wouldn't be too happy about that. You mean I have to do dishes every day for eternity? I don't think so. Let's not, let's not sign up for that. But this is totally different. This means it's life in God's restored creation. It's the place where he is acknowledged as king, where everything is set right. 
That's why you and I and all of creation really long for. Romans 8, Paul says that all of creation is, is eagerly groaning in anticipation of what's going to be revealed when God sets all things right. I mean, why do we long for this? Why does creation groan in anticipation of this? Because this is our true home. Because this is God setting everything right. Listen to the uh, picture of the restoration of all things, when God makes all things new. This is from Isaiah chapter 25. Just think about the imagery that's going on here. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And what a great picture, isn't it? The, the best food, the, the finest cuts of meat, the, the finest aged wines, a great feast, a great banquet, and everything as it's supposed to be. And what is the result of experiencing this? It is incredible joy. It's real, true, unadulterated joy, not, not tinged by sorrow and not tinged by the sadness of life. Even death has been swallowed up. This is the full realization of, of God's great blessing. It's being able to live in his presence forever. What a great picture. And this isn't just some wishful thinking that, oh, wouldn't it be nice if that happened? Now, this is a sure thing because it's what God himself is going to do. If you look at the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, it, it paints a picture, of, again, of, of what this will look like. And it confirms what we just heard from Isaiah 25. Listen to Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And listen again to the, the word picture that's painted at the end here with the restoration of the perfect garden. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is a picture of things as, it, as they're meant to be. Life to the full that Jesus is talking about is, is life forever, eternal life, but not just life unending, but life as it was meant to be, life as God created us to experience it. This is incredible picture of joy, joy without end. And the good news is that future reality of, of life to the full in God's kingdom breaks into the present today as well. Those who believe in Jesus have the future hope of this life to the full, and that then breaks into the reality of our lives today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. I mean, that's what this is about. That doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect right now. 
This doesn't mean that once you come to Christ, everything's fine. You're never going to face anything bad anymore. Jesus says quite the opposite. People rejected him, and they will reject us as well. Those who are followers of Jesus can expect oppression and persecution. But what it does mean is that we have a life worth living. See, those who find life in Jesus find a foretaste of what we just heard in these passages of the great uh, kingdom of God, the experience of his perfect new creation that breaks into our lives today. See, the joy of experiencing the world as it uh, was meant to be breaks into the present. Uh, Pastor John Piper calls this the dawning of indestructible joy. What a great phrase, indestructible joy. See, this means that we get to experience what Jesus is talking about in John 10. It means that we have the good shepherd. He knows us. He knows our name. He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He protects us. He leads us everywhere we need to be. And this shepherd, whose mission was to bring life and who did that effectively, now calls those who are his sheep to join him in that mission. See, what happens for those who have found that the indestructible joy of full, true life in Jesus is that it it wells up within us. And and when that is true, we want everyone around us to experience the same joy. Because you look around and there are so many people who are living totally joyless lives. They might have a peak of happiness here and there, but looking across the whole span of their life, there is so much fear and anxiety and worry and so little hope and peace and joy. Jesus comes to bring life and life to the full. And those who experience that know the true source of indestructible joy. And when that wells up in us, we want to tell more and more people because there are people around us that we deeply care about, that we want to experience that same joy that we've found. And so we become messengers of this fantastic news that Jesus came to bring life. This has always been the motivator of of God's people going to share the good news with others. I remember hearing stories of, of what they called the one-way missionaries. They would go to bring the good news of Jesus to another part of the world. They'd often have to travel long distances. And, and typically, you'd put your stuff in, in a steamer trunk, right, in those days, back in the day. But instead of the steamer trunks and stuff like that, the luggage of the day, what they did is they packed their stuff in a coffin. Isn't that a great picture? They're saying, I know that I might never see my friends and my family. I might never step onto my home soil again living with the breath of life in me. I know that probably the only way I'm going to get back to my home country is in this coffin after my death. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because they've found something more substantial. They know that happiness and joy, they're not found in in all these little temporary things. Indestructible joy is found only in Jesus. And so they go to spread this fantastic news about the one who came to bring life. And God used some of these men and women in incredible ways. I heard the story of a, of a Scottish missionary named Peter Milne who, who went to a little island in the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And, and in 16 years of ministry, it went from no one ever having heard the name of Jesus to a whole island who had heard about him. 16 years. Uh, apparently, his gravestone reads, When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. That is a life to the full. That is life worth living. It's the story of someone who gets it. This is abundant life. It's not an easy life, but it's a true, full life. It's a life of indestructible joy. Jesus' mission is to come to bring life, to bring life to the full. So the question for us is, 
what are we going to do with this? This is a really big question. Look at the response of the people in Jesus' day. John 10.10, after these incredible statements of Jesus, listen to the response of the people listening. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, there are always going to be lots of different responses to Jesus. But when we hear his words clearly, that he is the gate, that he is the good shepherd, that he comes to bring life to the full, that he lays down his life for us, that he calls us by name. When he finds us, there's no other response than to follow him because he has the words of life. My prayer and my hope for you is that you would experience the truth of that, that God's Spirit would be confirming in your heart that, yes, life really is found in Jesus. And like Larry said, this this phrase stuck in his mind, do I have abundant life? I don't know if I can say that. Maybe that's true of you. Maybe you don't know if you can say that. You've got to find out. You've got to dig down into that. Is what Jesus is saying really true? Is there really something more, something more substantial? Is there really life to the full, abundant life? Search for it in him. Like Larry was saying, get into scripture. Find out what God is saying to you. Find out who Jesus really is. Go back and read the whole gospel of John to find out from beginning to end, what is this about? Because John will say toward the end of the book, he wrote this so that we would believe. He was there. He saw Jesus. He talked to him. He heard what he said. And John was 100% convinced that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life to bring life to everyone who will believe in him. That's the challenge for us. Do you believe it? Do you have that kind of a life? What are you going to do with this man, Jesus? Now, life is not easy. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it and pretend that bad things don't happen, that there aren't hard things in life. The Bible is very realistic about all of the mess of life. But what it does, it offers a solution. There is an answer to this, and it's not in these little human things here and there that we can try to do to try to protect ourselves or bring some kind of security, some kind of hope, or some kind of peace. It's not in that. The solution is centered on the baby that's born that we celebrate at Christmas. This baby was born to bring life to the full. And so as you go about your December, as you go to Christmas parties, and as you buy gifts, and as you receive gifts, as you drive around town and see all the lights lit up everywhere, and then you think about the contrast between a season of joy and all of the stories of death and heartache and violence, I want you to, to take a minute to stop then and to think about this juxtaposition, this incredible contrast between a season of joy in a world of death, and to stop and to ask the question, is Jesus really the answer? Because the Bible's consistent testimony again and again and again is yes. There is life. There is a reason to celebrate with great joy, and it's found in Jesus. See, the reason that we can continue to celebrate with joy, no matter what is happening around us, is because there is an answer. Jesus came to bring life to the full. And when you know that, your life will fill up with indestructible joy. Let me pray that God would do that for us. God, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you for the opportunity to stop and reflect this December on on why Jesus came. We can assume we know, we can think we know, but I pray that you'd bring us right back to the heart of it. He said today he came to bring life.
God, we live in a world where death is the consistent theme we hear about again and again and again. And for some of us, this fills us with incredible fear and anxiety and worry. But the Bible speaks a truer word. And I pray that you bring us back to your son, Jesus, so that we would have indestructible joy, joy no matter what's going around us, joy no matter what the circumstances are. God, I thank you for sending your son to bring life. And I pray that he would do it in our lives, in my life, the life of the people in this room. And I pray that you would then fill us with such joy that we'd be proclaimers of the name of Jesus everywhere we go, using every opportunity to say, this is why Christmas is special to me. This is why it matters to me. This is why there's joy no matter what's going on. Send us out as witnesses to the great news that Jesus brings life. We pray this in his name. Amen.